Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist Church. Good to be with you this morning. Congratulations on getting here on time this morning. Good job, good job. Uh, if you do see anybody coming in as we're leaving the sanctuary this morning, try not to shame them. Just invite them to Sunday school with you and remind them that there's another service at 11 o'clock. This is uh, Coins for Missions Sunday, and uh, if the blue buckets were not out there when you came in with your coins, they are out there now. So you can uh, put your coins in the blue buckets on your way out. We collect those the second Sunday of each month for our mission projects. I hope that you will come back this evening for our family night. Uh, it's dinner and a mystery. Everybody's welcome at 6 o'clock. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what the dinner is, but I will tell you that we have a skit tonight called the Hamloaf Caper. So maybe that's a clue. I don't know. You'll have to come and find out uh, at 6 o'clock this evening for dinner and a mystery. Uh, this, uh, this Sunday, this morning, is your last chance to buy the tickets to the women's prayer breakfast. Uh, that is next Saturday. The uh, table is out in the narthex there for buying your tickets this morning for that. There's an announcement in there about uh, the organ recital next uh, Sunday. You're invited to that at First Baptist Church. That is uh, John and Sharon Shearer's uh, son is, is playing an organ recital, so make note of that in your bulletin. There's going to be a new member uh, class coming up. If you're interested in membership at Faith Community, I'd invite you to come and join me with, and others that are interested in membership on Monday, March 21st at 530. Uh, we'll just uh, have an orientation about the church, about, about uh, the United Methodist Church, Faith Community, uh, what is involved in membership. So you're invited to that. You can email me uh, to sign up or with any questions. Finally, I'd just like to mention our Lenten offering. You have this uh, special envelope in your bulletin, this is our Lenten offering collecting for Vacation Bible School. And uh, just a reminder that if you do give uh, to this Lenten offering, to please not uh, take that away from your regular tithes and offerings. But this is an opportunity to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings uh, to support the uh, ministries of this church and the children of this community through Vacation Bible School. We come together this morning to worship and praise God. I invite you into an attitude of worship and stand as you are able for the call to worship. May we join together in our call to worship. Put away your hesitation to come before God. Quiet your fears and anxieties, for God welcomes us. God is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Look to the heavens for inspiration and assurance. Look around you, for God's presence is everywhere. God is the stronghold of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? Let us watch and wait with our Creator. Let us trust in the one who gives life and hope. Teach us your ways, O God, and lead us on a level path. And still standing, may we join in our opening hymn, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed, number 294.
be seated. And we'll join together in our opening prayer printed in your bulletin. In this place, our hearts take courage. Your goodness is all around us. The trials and cares of life are stilled before you. Show us your face, O God. Let your love be known to us. We need this hour to remember who we are, to let you gather us under your wings. We need this time to feel close to one another, to recognize ourselves as brothers and sisters. We need reminders of the humanity and glory of Jesus Christ that empower our discipleship. Hear our cries and help us. Amen. And we'll join in our prayer hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, number 297. Lord, we, we come into this time and place to place ourselves in the shadow of thy cross. Oh Lord, it is your cross that 
claims us, that redeems us, that calls us into life and into your community, your family, your people. Lord, thank you for that salvation that we find in the cross of Jesus. And thank you for redeeming us through that sacrifice and giving us the gift of of life, not just life in our bodies, but eternal life, the promise of glory with you forever. Lord, we rejoice in that now and in all of our ways, in everything that, that we say and do, may they be a reflection of that truth and that promise that we have from you, that truth that is found only in you. Lord, we pray for your mercy in our lives. We pray for your mercy in this world, for the people in Ukraine and for people in other parts of the world that are in harm's way. We pray for protection and strength of witness. We pray, Lord, that you would turn the hearts of the evildoers of this world, that you would just stop them in their tracks and turn them around to your glory, to your truth. Lord, may your will be done in this world. We pray for your holy and glorious intervention in this world. And we know, Lord, that we can't pray for your intervention in this world without praying for your intervention in our own lives as well. And so we pray that you will indeed intervene in our lives to change our hearts, to turn us from our wicked ways, to restore us to your righteousness in all that we do. We pray that we might be agents of your grace, your truth, your mercy, to all who know us, to all who see us, that they might see through us the shadow of thy cross. We pray this in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers wait upon us.
please join with me in the prayer of dedication. In the confidence that you will multiply our best efforts, we bring our offerings for the work of your church in the world. Holy God, it is a joy to present our offerings, for we are as blessed in our giving as we have been in receiving abundant goodness from your hand. Amen. Please be seated. That was beautiful, thank you. Our scripture lesson for today is from the book of Daniel, chapter nine, verses 20 through 27, and it's known as the 77s. While I was speaking and praying, 
confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was brought to my attention last week, after I preached on Daniel chapter 8, that the vision Daniel had in chapter 8, much of it having to do with temple sacrifices and the period of time when the temple would be desecrated, under Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and sacrifices would stop, but then be resumed after 2,300 evenings and mornings. That whole vision was given to Daniel at a time when the Jerusalem temple didn't even exist. King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple around the year 586 BC, burned it to the ground. There was nothing left of it. So Daniel was being given a vision relating to a future temple, the second temple, which must have been disconcerting. It was kind of a, bad, a good news, bad news situation. Good news, the Jerusalem temple is going to be rebuilt. Bad news is going to be desecrated all over again. The idea of the temple weighed heavy, not just on Daniel, but on all of the Jewish people. The temple had been the center point of their lives, the place where heaven and earth kissed. It was not just their place of worship, but the very house of God. It, it was the place where atonement was made day in and day out on their behalf so that they could continue as God's holy people. Even with the temple gone from the earth, as it was throughout the years of exile in Babylon, the temple was still the Jewish people's reference points in all of their thoughts and devotions. 
Remember from chapter 6 that Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem, looking forward to that day when the temple would be rebuilt. In our reading for today, Daniel says that while he was praying, the angel Gabriel came to him at the time of the evening sacrifice. That might not sound odd until you stop and reflect for a moment about the fact that at that time that Daniel was praying, there was no evening sacrifice. There there were no sacrifices whatsoever. There was no temple. And yet, Daniel still measured time according to the temple sacrifice. Daniel, all these years later, was still on temple time. He wasn't just praying at five in the evening or whatever time it was on the clock. He was praying at the time of the evening sacrifice because everything in Jewish life was oriented to the temple, even after almost a lifetime in exile when there was no temple. Daniel says that he had been confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of God. The holy mountain of God is Mount Zion, the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem was built. But more than that, it is the temple mount, the pinnacle of the mountain on which the temple was built. Or should I say, where the temple had been built and where it would one day again be built. The content of Daniel's prayer makes up verses 4 through 19 of the chapter. The context of the prayer is given at the beginning of the chapter. It was in the first year of Darius the Mede who became king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Again, as I mentioned when we looked at at chapter 6, this is not the same King Darius named in other parts of the Bible who was king of Persia some years following Cyrus. Daniel does not ever call Darius king of Persia. He doesn't even call him king of Media. He calls him Darius the Mede who was made king over the region of the Chaldeans. The Median army conquered Babylon, but the Median kingdom had already been absorbed within the Persian kingdom of Cyrus. So the setting for this chapter is the first year that Cyrus is the ultimate authority over all Judean exiles, 539 B.C. Cyrus was the one who would issue a decree stating that the exiles from Judah could return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. After Babylon had been conquered, but before Cyrus issued that decree, Daniel was studying the the writing of the prophet Jeremiah, and he found there the number of years of devastation for Jerusalem that Jeremiah had foretold, 70 years. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12 says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans making the land an everlasting waste. Jeremiah 29.10 says, For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Verses 12 through 14, Then you will call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Daniel, in searching the book of the prophet Jeremiah, found that these promises would be carried out after 70 years, which came to him as very good news because... He and the rest of the Jewish exiles had been in the land of Babylon for 
almost 70 years. He realized it was almost time for this promise to be fulfilled. And the defeat of the Babylonian kings might just be the first indication that the fulfillment was at hand. That was the realization behind this prayer of Daniel in chapter 9. He says he turned to God in prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and confession. Sounds a lot like Lent, doesn't it? That's kind of what it was. Daniel realized that this was a season for repentance and supplication and fasting and confession in order to prepare for the great and miraculous salvation that God was about to accomplish for his people. Throughout the prayer, Daniel confessed what the prophets had foretold and what the Jewish people had come to believe that the destruction of Jerusalem and their exile to Babylon was all their own fault. It was a just punishment of a righteous God for their sins, for them having repeatedly turned away from God. And so, in preparation for being brought back to God, being redeemed by God, Daniel was presenting himself and his entire nation to God in supplication, beseeching God to restore them at the end of the 70 years. Curious thing about that number of 70 years what exactly was it that was devastated for 70 years? If you want to get specific about the numbers, there's only one thing to which that time period could refer, the temple. If you're talking about the time period that the Jewish people were forced to live in Babylon, well, the biggest deportation happened in 587 B.C., and Cyrus ended the exile in 539 B.C. That's not even 50 years. If you go from the time of the first attack against Jerusalem, when, when the very first group of Jews, including Daniel, were taken to Babylon, that's still only 60 years at the most. What did lay desolate for 70 years? The temple. The temple was destroyed around 586 and was rebuilt around 516, 70 years later. For a period of 70 years, there was no temple that period, during which the temple lay in ruins, during which there were no sacrifices be, being made at the altar, during which there was no place for God to dwell among them, that is how the prophets and the Jews measured the time of the exile. Indeed, that's what exile meant to them. They, they could move back to their ancestral homeland, back to Jerusalem, but until the temple was rebuilt, they were still in exile. Why is that significant? It's significant because what Daniel was praying about here in chapter 9 was not just about political control. It wasn't just about where people were living, whether or not they could go back home, or what home even meant to them at that point. What he was praying about, first and foremost, was the temple. The first actual petition that Daniel makes in his prayer, other than for God's wrath to be turned away and for their sins to be forgiven, the first concrete Request that Daniel makes, verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. Let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. In other words, let your temple be rebuilt and come dwell there with us once again. Daniel says that while he was praying, the angel Gabriel came to him in swift flight. Gabriel declared that he had come to give insight and understanding. He had come, in essence, to answer Daniel's prayer. 
not to fulfill the prayer then and there, but to reveal to Daniel what was to come and how the prayer would indeed be answered. Notice that in chapter 9, there aren't really any visions, either in a dream or in being caught up in the Spirit. Gabriel calls it a vision, but what's happening here is simply Daniel is praying, and then Gabriel comes and reveals God's answer to the prayer. Kind of the same way that Gabriel later would appear to Mary in person and explain to her the things that were about to take place. It's interesting that Gabriel tells Daniel he's doing this for you are highly esteemed. Isn't that the same thing he later tells Mary? Greetings, favored one, you are highly esteemed. Not to take anything away from either Mary or Daniel, but this appears to be Gabriel's standard greeting. Then again, Gabriel doesn't appear in person to just anyone. In this case, he comes to the prophet Daniel to give him understanding of how his prayer would be answered. Daniel had been praying because of the 70 years that had been prophesied by Jeremiah and Daniel's awareness that that 70 years was almost up. Gabriel begins by saying, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. Most translations say 70 weeks are decreed. The word translated as weeks is a word that means a group of seven. Usually it means a week, a group of seven days. But every interpreter and commentator that I'm aware of, even if they translate this as 70 weeks, acknowledge that this is not referring to literal weeks. 70 literal weeks would be about one and a third years. There's no interpretation of this passage in which one and a third years would make any sense. Most interpreters agree that the sevens, usually translated as weeks, actually means years. Leviticus 25 talks about the Sabbath year in God's commands to the Hebrew people. Once every seven years was to be a Sabbath year in which the land would lie fallow and rest, just as every person was supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. Daniel had been praying in relation to the 70 years prophesied by Jeremiah. That 70 years indeed would be fulfilled when Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple would be rebuilt. But in answer to Daniel's prayer, Gabriel shows Daniel that the ultimate answer, the real fulfillment, would not be the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple at the end of 70 years. God's plan of saving his people would go far beyond that. The real fulfillment of what Daniel was praying for, that the sins of God's people might be wiped away, that God's anger and wrath would be turned from them, that God's righteousness might prevail over all, the ultimate answer to that prayer was not going to come at the end of 70 years, but at the end of 77s. If the 77s of Daniel 9 means 70 Sabbath years, or 70 times 7 years, that would be 490 years. 490 years from the rebuilding of the temple takes us to the era of Jesus. The math isn't exact, depending on which decree it is that Gabriel refers to, the decree issued by Cyrus, or a later decree by Darius that's mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah. And which calendar you use to measure the years, there are some commentators who get very specific and technical trying to make the math work out precisely. But that's not the point. 
If that were the point, Gabriel would have named the time period in much more specific terms. He said 77, first because that leads us to the era when Christ would come to earth in Jesus, and second because of what the 77s represents, perfection, fulfillment, God's plan of salvation worked out in its entirety. Every seven years was a Sabbath year, a holy year, God's year. But in addition to the Sabbath year, there was also a jubilee year, every seven sevens, every 49th year. The jubilee year was kind of like a super Sabbath. Not, not only did the land lie fallow, but everything went back to start. All the ancestral land that had been lost or sold off due to bad fortune got returned to the original family that owned it. Every Jewish person that had been forced to sell themselves into servitude was set free from slavery. According to God's design, in the Jubilee year, every single Jewish person got a fresh start in life. Gabriel points to the fulfillment, the redemption of God's people, the salvation that will come after 77. If the Jubilee year, every seven sevens, is like a super Sabbath, then the 77s will be like a super Jubilee. The ultimate Jubilee, the new beginning of the world, uh, the perfect redemption. A redemption for God's people much grander than could ever be envisioned simply by the rebuilding of the temple. Indeed, this would be a salvation that would completely eclipse and replace the temple. Listen to what Gabriel said would be accomplished upon the decreed 77s. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint a most holy of holies. To finish transgression. Remember Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. That is what Jesus did on the cross. He put an end to sin once and for all. He atoned for all wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness. You see, this is why the real answer to Daniel's prayer had to go far beyond the rebuilding of the temple. When the temple sacrifices would resume, the people would be able to atone for their sins once again, but that, that atonement would still be limited the righteousness it brought was fleeting. Sacrifices had to be made every day, evening and morning, over and over and over again. Because the temple was not God's ultimate plan for atonement. The temple was a, but a foreshadowing of the atonement that would be accomplished once and for all in Jesus. The atonement that Christ brings doesn't have to be repeated over and over again. It is finished, Christ said on the cross. He put an end to sin. He atoned for weakness. He finished transgression. He brought everlasting righteousness. The righteousness that comes from Christ is not fleeting because it's not dependent on us. It is His righteousness, everlasting righteousness that He places upon us. To seal up vision and prophecy. Everything 
everything that had been prophesied in the Jewish scriptures was fulfilled in Jesus. He sealed it all up. Everyone who had spoken the word of God had spoken of Jesus. And to anoint a most holy of holies. A lot of translations have this as the most holy place, as if it referred to the temple. The word place isn't in there. It's the word holy as a noun. It's not an adjective as in a holy something or other. It's a noun. It is a holy, something that is by definition named holy. But the word appears twice, first in singular form and then in plural. The best translation then would be to anoint a most holy of holies. Often in the Old Testament, the holy of holies referred to the innermost part of the temple, that that room at the center of the temple that only one priest could enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. But the meaning here is obviously not the physical inner room of a temple made of stone. This is referring to anointing the most holy of holies, Jesus Christ himself, who would indeed in his death and resurrection replace the temple and be our direct access to God. Christ is the very presence of God on earth. The next verses are more difficult to interpret and have led to many different explanations and detailed theories about the time periods involved. It seems apparent to me, though, that all of it continues to lead to Jesus. Gabriel breaks out the 77s into three periods of time. He says that from the time the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem to the time the Messiah appears, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. According to Gabriel, during this time it will be rebuilt, meaning the city of Jerusalem centered on the rebuilt temple. It will be rebuilt with streets in the trench, but in times of trouble. Again, this seven sevens and 62 sevens, they're not meant to be specific exact measurements of, of time. Remember that seven sevens represents the Jubilee year. Daniel is being told the initial period of rebuilding is going to be a jubilee. Families will reclaim their ancestral lands from long ago. Jews who have been held in captivity will be set free. Temple worship and sacrifices will resume. It will be a fresh start for the Jewish nation, a jubilee. But remember the visions Daniel had earlier. In the previous chapter, he had a vision of the rebuilt temple being desecrated once again. He had visions of conflicts and wars that would rage in the Holy Land over the next several centuries. That's what is reflected in the 62 sevens. The initial return and rebuilding would be a jubilee, a time of rejoicing and celebration and assurance of God's blessing. But after that, there would be trouble. Rebuilding would continue in times of trouble. Why 62 sevens? Because that, added on to the initial time of the Jubilee, the seven sevens, brings us up to just before the 70th seven. The 70th seven would be what it was all leading to. The time of fulfillment, completion, the super Jubilee, when God's plan of salvation would be accomplished once and for all in Jesus. Verse 26 after the 62 sevens, that is, 
when the time of the 70th seven has come. The anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death and will have nothing. Another translation of that is, he will be put to death but not for himself. Christ died for sin but not for his own. Christ had no sin, but God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Messiah was put to death, not for himself, but for us. The Bible likewise says he emptied himself and became nothing. He will be put to death and will have nothing. Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. This one seven is the last seven, the 70th seven, the time of fulfillment, God's time. He will confirm a covenant with many. Again, we're taken back to the prophecy of Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah's prophecy that inspired Daniel's prayer at the beginning of the chapter, and it is another prophecy of Jeremiah that we see here at the end of the chapter. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the covenant confirmed by Jesus in the 70th seven, the ultimate jubilee. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Here's a curious thing. You remember in the previous chapter, in Daniel's former vision, it had been an antichrist, namely Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who had stopped the sacrifices for a time. But only for a time. The temple would be rededicated. The sacrifices would resume. The word to Daniel in in this chapter is different. Here he is told of one who will bring an end to sacrifices and offerings. As in, an end, a final end. They are completely done away with. There are no more sacrifices to be made. Some translations say he will put an end to sacrifices for half a week, leading some to see this as the Antichrist once again, interpreting the, the, interrupting the, the true worship of God for a three-and-a-half-year tribulation. But what Gabriel actually says is, In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. If you understand that seven is the number of perfection that represents God, that that the seventh day is the Sabbath and the seventh year is the Sabbath year, that the seventh seven is the jubilee and the 70th seven is the super jubilee, the time of fulfillment of all God's plans, then you know that the seven here spoken of to Daniel is the time of Christ, And in the middle of that seven, that is, after three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus put an end to sacrifices 
for all time by making the one and only perfect sacrifice ever needed. The rest of the verses talk about the abomination that causes desolation in the Jerusalem temple. Jesus referred to that himself during his ministry, indicating that the kind of desecration made of the temple by Antiochus IV would soon be repeated and, and would lead to the ultimate destruction of the temple. And indeed, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70 AD during the Jewish war with the Romans. The temple that didn't even yet exist at the time of Daniel was given when, when these visions were given. That temple that he was praying would be rebuilt for true worship of God to resume. He's shown in his answer to that prayer that indeed the temple would be rebuilt and it would be destroyed all over again. But Daniel was also shown that that was not a tragedy at all. That indeed, that was God's plan all along because that Jerusalem temple made of stone was only meant to be a sign pointing to the true temple, the true holy of holies, the one who would make the only sacrifice ever needed, the one who would establish the new covenant, the one who would atone for wickedness, put an end to sin, finish transgressions, bring in everlasting righteousness, the one who would be the very presence of God on earth, even Jesus the Christ. To Him be all glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to stand now as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 140 in the hymnals. Great is thy faithfulness.
Lord is faithful indeed. And so let us go from here and be faithful to him in return, living for his glory. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.